be seated. Y'all, this has been the strangest week. Our kids were out of school all week, and so I figured some of y'all would probably be excited to uh, to get out of the house and, and come to the church. And I know that y'all are, I, th- I think we're out of school tomorrow. Are we out of school tomorrow? Out of school tomorrow? Man, I just, this is unreal. So it's been a strange week, but I'm glad that y'all are here. Um, I was, uh, we, we're continuing our series today on courage. And I thought about a story on courage. I, I watch probably a little more television than I should. And I've, I've been following along the uh, Domino's uh, ads on, on television, you know, the commercials that they made. And I think they're really good commercials. For the last number of years, Domino's has been getting hammered uh, for their poor tasting pizza. And so they started doing these little survey groups and they would, they would do some of them on television. And what they discovered is that people would say, hey, your, your crust tastes like cardboard. And they said that their pizza sauce tasted like ketchup. And what was interesting to me is the way Domino's Pizza responded to it. They didn't try to hide it. They didn't try to say, well, these people just have horrible taste buds. They just they admitted it. Say, man, we make bad pizza. Uh, as a matter of fact, there was an article that had come out in a business magazine that said that they had tied Chuck E. Cheese with quality of pizza. Now, if I hope there's nobody here that works for Chuck E. Cheese. I'm, it's a fantastic organization. But I have to tell you, if it comes down to your pizza quality is tied with Chuck E. Cheese, dude, that ain't good. And so it wasn't, it wasn't looking good. So they said, we got to do something about this. So they came out with this this whole new ad campaign. And they said, we're going to change everything. You guys are right. We're going to take your suggestions. Now, I was curious. This has been going on for over a year. And I was like, I wonder if their sales have improved any. Well, I looked it up, and their sales in the past year have over doubled. Now, it has been a very successful campaign. Now, when I read that, I thought, you know, there is, there's more to good pizza than just, you know, your basic ingredients. I mean, there's more to good pizza other than having, a, you know, a good crust and a good sauce and pepperoni. There's got to be more. And I'd have to say that probably the greatest ingredient for Domino's to be able to find success was courage. And it was the courage to come out and say, you know what, we do make bad pizza. And we've got to make some changes. It was, it was courage on their part to be able to simply come to the place where they said, we've got to do some things differently. Well, today we're continuing our series on courage. And it's my hope to this series that we too will be motivated to be a people of courage as well. Uh, my belief, and I, I, really, I really believe this, my belief is that people have a desire to see the church be courageous. I really believe people have a desire to, to see Christians be courageous in their living. And I'm not talking about, you know, where, you know, that I, I mean, I think the church needs to move beyond just simply being a, a place we show up, you know, where we show up on Sundays, kind of hang out together and we leave and that's it. Doesn't do anything else for us the rest of the week. I, I really think people desire for the church to be more uh, they desire for the church to actually, you know, live according to what Scripture says. Because I think people want to know, hey, is God real? You know, does God really make a difference? Well, today in our passage of Scripture, we're going to examine some ingredients for courage. As laid out for us in the life of a lady named Esther. And I believe the same ingredients that she had for courage in her life are the same ingredients that, that apply to us as well. 
And so it's my hope that we're going to look in the scripture, that we're going to read it. We're going to you know, pay attention to it and then and then do more than just leave here saying, well, that was a neat story. Uh, my hope is that we'll leave here saying we are going to apply what we learn in scripture to our lives. And so if you have your Bible, um, I'd like for you to look with me in Esther chapter four. We're going to look in verse number 12. Some of you thinking I have never looked in the book of Esther. Where is it? Uh, just real simple stuff. You have your book with you, your Bible. You can go right to the middle and turn left a little bit. It's right. It's before the book of Psalms. And so it's Esther chapter four. If you if you're like me, go to the table of contents and uh, you can find the page number. It's 424 in my book. Or if you're like everybody else, you can look on the screen. So just thought I'd throw that out there. So Esther chapter four, verse 12, going to give you a little background information here. Uh, Esther was a, a Jewish lady. Who was living uh, during, it was really just a time of exile for the Jewish people. But she, through some strange circumstances, was able to marry the king of Persia. Uh, King of Persia, by the way, is located in modern day Iran. The guy she married was named Xerxes. Uh, But some real issues started to crop up as you read through the book of Esther. And one of them is that the king had passed an edict saying that all Jewish people in his empire were to be executed on a particular day. Now, as you can imagine, this was uh, this was sort of a tough one for Esther because she's a Jewish lady. Now, her husband did not know at this point that she was Jewish. So, you know, so I guess that's good news in one sense. But the other side is, well, what if he ever finds out? Now, she had an uncle named Mordecai who basically raised her. He's her father figure. He lived outside the palace and he got news to her about what was going on. And he said, Esther, now this is your chance. This is your chance to stand up and be a courageous person, to make a difference for your people. He said, you are here at this time and this place to be courageous. Now, Village Church, I believe this. I believe that this church is here at this time to be courageous, to be a church that makes a difference. Now, if you were with us when we started the church eight years ago, it was it was hard for, for people to look at us and see us as being a, a group of people who could make a lot of difference, much of a difference. I mean, if you think about it, if, if you all were a part of that, you might remember that uh, that the pastor of the church back then, which was me. Uh, we had I had a truck and uh, uh, that uh, Peb Bumgarner let me use and and we had the I would pull the, ch- the the contents of our church in a trailer every Sunday to school. Does that sound impressive to y'all? I mean, I would look at that and think I got to go to church there, you know, where they actually have everything that church owns in a box. And so, you know, but hey, God was faithful to us and we went through that time period and, and, and God's provided this place for us. And so for the first time, we have a visible presence in our community. But I believe we have a, a presence for a reason. So we can make a difference. I believe that God has placed us here for this time on this land so that we can be a church that is courageous. See, I have a desire to see our church, to see us as individuals, make a difference in Northeast Columbia. And we have more opportunity to do that than ever before. Now, now how do we do that? How can we as, as individuals, how can we as a church, be, how can we be courageous? We're going to see a few ingredients that make up courage according to our text today. And we're going to see it in the life of Esther. 
And the first ingredient that we see in her life that enabled her to be courageous is, first of all, an ingredient for courage is uh, an obstacle. Before there can ever be courage in a person's life, there has to be an obstacle that they face. Uh, Now, I want you to look with me in verse number 12. It says, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. This is one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament. Uh, If you have your Bible and you don't have this underlined, let me underline this verse. This is a cool verse. Uh, you You may have come to this position for such a time as this. This was Esther's opportunity to be a lady of courage. Now, the word courage is defined as a quality of spirit that enables you to face danger or pain without showing fear. I thought that was an interesting definition because it does not say that courage is the absence of fear. And I think a lot of times that's what we think of courage. You know, that guy is just absolutely nuts. I mean, he's courageous. He has no fear whatsoever. That's not what courage is. Courage is being able to move forward in spite of the obstacles that you face. And as overwhelming as they might be, that you move forward and they can scare you. And you say, but I'm going to move forward. Now, I look at Esther and I say, Esther was a woman of courage. And she was a woman of courage because, first of all, the first ingredient there for courage was she had an obstacle to face. Y'all remember the obstacle? Anybody? Anybody want to throw one out there? What was her obstacle? All right, it was death. Her people were going to be put to death. That was an obstacle. Okay, it kind of hit close to home for her because she's Jewish. And so she's like, okay, I've got to, if I can sit back and do nothing and are people going to get killed or I can, I can stand up and do something, I might be killed anyway. But she decided she was going to be a woman of courage. And her uncle told her, Esther, I believe God's put you here for such a time as this. To stand up. For your people. That was her first obstacle. Another obstacle is that her, she had not been in the presence of her husband for 30 days. And you have to remember that the, the, the context of Scripture, relationships are totally different than, than our relationships today, especially with royalty. And in, in Persia, uh, the king, whenever, uh, there's two things. One, whenever a king, he had issued an edict saying everybody in, in Persia, every Jew is to be killed on a particular day. When a king offered an edict in, in Persia, he could never take the edict back. Um, it's not like that Esther could talk to him and say, honey, let me tell you, you made a mistake here. You need to correct this. He couldn't do that because if he did that, it would be a sign of weakness on his part. And it would diminish his power as a king. People would say, well, maybe he's not as sure of himself as we thought. And so when an edict was made, the king had to stick by it regardless. So he's already made this edict. So Esther can't do anything here. She can't say, hey, erase that edict. It's, it's going to happen. The other thing is she'd not been in the presence of the king for 30 days. Now, you know, I say, well, I mean, what does that mean? It means that Esther couldn't just walk up to her husband after 30 days and say, hey, listen, Xerxes. I mean, you've made a mistake here. You're going to have to correct this. We've got to do something. She could not approach him in conversation. Now, the reason why is that the king, the only way she could ever talk to the king is if the king 
gave her permission to speak to him. Now, that's the way it is in our family. Uh, just kidding. It's the other way around. Uh, so that's, you know, that, so, you know, a lot of times we think, well, that doesn't sound too bad. But anyway, that's, that's kind of where, where we are in this, in this passage of Scripture. Okay, so you have to understand the dilemma. There's an edict that's been made that can't be revoked. She hasn't talked to the king. She can't talk to him unless he calls her to him. If she decides she's going to talk to him anyway, it's punishable by death if he doesn't receive her. Remember, we're not, we're, this isn't 21st century. It's a long time ago. And I said, well, surely he wouldn't do that to his wife. Well, he'd actually already kind of moved in this direction with his first wife. His first wife, she, she ticked him off. And so they, they said, you know what? She will never come into the presence of the king again. In Esther 1.19, it says, Vashti, his first wife, is never again to enter the presence of King Xerxes. And she never did. Guys, let me tell you something. This is, this is serious stuff here. Esther has a major obstacle before her, and she had fear. She had fear in her life. Well, you know, what if he didn't accept her? What if nothing changed? What if nothing was different? But what's interesting to me is that before there can be courage, there has to be an obstacle. There has to be a sense of apprehension. Otherwise, there would be no such thing as courage. And yet what happens to many of us is whenever a wall or an obstacle goes up, goes, goes up before us, so many of us don't do anything. The obstacle comes up and, and we just say, well, I'm not going to try to get over that obstacle. It's too big. And so we allow fear to dictate how we're going to live our lives. Esther had a big wall in front of her. We have a big wall in front of us. You know, our faith tells us that we can do all things through Christ. Our faith tells us that that we can do all things through him who strengthens me. And yet, how many of us actually put that into practice today? I mean, seriously, examine your own life. And do you put that into practice? You know, we have a lot of walls that pop up before us all the time. We live in a society that tells us that our faith is illogical, that tells us that our faith is a faith that does not demonstrate reason And most of us have a desire to be so accepted by other people that we're willing to push aside our faith and keep it out of our lives, saying, you know, it's not really the primary thing in my life. And so we push it to the side. But I want you to know that whenever you push your relationship with God to the side, you are rendering your faith useless and powerless. And then we wonder, why don't why don't I live with power? Why didn't the church that I'm a part of, why doesn't it have power in the community Guys, it's because we've allowed walls to stand up before us to where we're not even willing to try to overcome them. And we have friends who are going to be separated from God for an eternity because we are scared to live out our faith in our daily lives. Well, what would have happened to Esther's people had she not done anything? Guys, there would have been a massacre. And I said, well, she was a queen. I mean, she could do something about it. I'm, I'm not royalty. Let me tell you something. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're royalty. The Bible says that you are a child of God. That you're a child of the King of Kings. And that's not something that we're supposed to run away from. Our calling is to exercise the authority and power that comes with being a part of God's family. That it's God's desire for us to live according to the power that he gives his people. What does that mean? It means that we can live with honor. 
It means that we can, we can shun our, our natural wants and desires that are ungodly because we have the power of God at our side. We've been empowered by God to live a life of power. In Philippians 4.13 it says, I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. That means there's not an obstacle in this world today that cannot be overcome without the power of God, by the power of God. I read a story about a man named Ray Blankenship, and he was in his house cooking breakfast, and he's looking out the back window, and his backyard, he had one of those, you know, like, those ditches, um, like, I guess like a drainage ditch, and it, it had rained a ton, and it looked like a river, just, you know, flowing through his backyard, and so he's cooking breakfast, and he heard, he heard a girl yelling, and, and he looked out, and he's kind of squinting his eyes, and he looked up, and he saw there's a girl that was in that ditch just being absolutely just you know, thrown down that, that ditch by the rapids. And, you know, that girl needs help. And so he ran out of his house, and he tried to get ahead of the girl. He finally got ahead of her. She's going down the ditch, and as, as she's going down there, he jumps into the water, and he grabs the girl, and he's clawing, he's scratching, he's trying to get to the other side. And he finally gets a, a footing on the other side, and he pulls up, and he's able to save that girl's life. Now, what, what is interesting about that story is that it was such a, a big deal that he actually won an award from the Coast Guard for saving this girl's life. But what made the story interesting is what they discovered is that Ray Blankenship did all of this, jumping into the water, without knowing how to swim. Now, it is a man of courage. A man who saw an obstacle, but he responded with courage because he knew that he could make a difference. Now, the same thing is true for us. Now, the first in, ingredient for courage is an obstacle. Where we live today, yeah, there are obstacles all around us. But it gives us the opportunity for courage. Church, we have the opportunity to make a difference. Another ingredient I see for courage is, is purpose. Another ingredient is purpose. Now, I want you to look at me in verse 14. And this is Mordecai, her uncle. He's speaking to Esther. He says, for if you remain silent at this time, in other words, if you don't do anything, he said, then, then we're going to be in trouble. So if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews, God's going to provide for his people. It will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. For there to be courage, there's going to be purpose. I, I, I heard about a man who was very wealthy, wanted to get his mom a, an over-the-top gift. And he was excited about it. He'd heard about this bird that had a 4,000-word vocabulary, spoke several languages. It was able to sing. He said, I'm going to get my mom this bird. She's going to love it. Now, the bird cost him $50,000. He bought the bird, had it shipped to his mother. He was excited. He could not, he could not wait to hear what she thought about the bird. So the next morning, he called his mom. And he said, Mom, what did you think about the bird? He almost dropped the phone whenever she said, Man, it was delicious. Now, now guys, it is always wise and important you know, to know what the purpose of something is. And I think we'd all like to say that when we live our lives, we live our life with purpose. But you know what? I really think a lot of us, we go through life and, and we, we're, we have, we're clueless. We don't know what our purpose is. And so we just sort of meander through this life, doing things that we were never meant to do, and, we, and we're dissatisfied in life. 
That's why my, one of my favorite verses is when Mordecai told Esther in verse number 14. He says, and who knows whether you've not attained royalty for such a time as this. You know how Esther had become queen? She won a beauty pageant. Now that is bizarre. That seems rather random. But God, God orchestrated all this because he knew the plight of his people that was coming. And he put her in this position for such a time as this. Yeah, there are a lot of us in we don't know what our we, we don't know what our purpose is. We, we don't know why we're here. Let me let me tell you something. You are here today for a reason. God God made you with purpose. That's why one of my favorite verses is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. It says, "For I know the plans I have for you," declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope. And a future. Now, why had Esther been created? Well, Mordecai said, for such a time as this. Esther was where she was for a reason. And, you know, there, there are times we feel like maybe God's got caught off guard. And we're where we are by mistake. And does God even know what's going on? Does God understand what's happening in my life? You know, it's, a lot of people looked at 9-11 and they said God was caught off guard on that day. A lot of us look at different events that have occurred in our lives and we say, you know, God doesn't know what's going on or what, what, what happened or transpired in my life. That would have never happened. Other of us look at our lives and we think, man, I was born at the wrong time. I was born at the wrong generation. Guys, let me tell you something. As a follower of God, if you are a follower of Jesus, God has you here right now for a reason and a purpose. And I want you to know God's never surprised. Because God knows all things. And whenever you place your, your heart and your trust in the hands of God, you're placing your confidence in a God who doesn't just know what today holds and tomorrow holds, but a God who knows what eternity holds. And God says He will care for His people. Now, all we've been created to do is to trust Him and realize that He's created us for this time. So we need to quit griping about the time we're living in and embrace it. And say, God's put me here, God's put this church here for this time. I'm sure that Mordecai's words to Esther when he said, hey, you, you are here for such a time as this, that had to encourage her. As she was living in the midst of an uncertain world and she's getting scared, and she begins to realize, hey, you know what? He's right. I am here for a reason. I am here for a purpose. And it allowed her to begin to live with confidence. And to live for the glory of God. Now let me ask you a question. Are you living your life right now for the glory of God? Are you living your life right now? Knowing, you know what? It is not a mistake that I'm here. But God has me here for purpose. Now if you're walking in obedience in your relationship with the Lord, you can know for certainty that God has you right where He wants you. I believe people are hungry for good news. People are hungry to know that there is a God who sees all things. The question is, Village Church, are we going to be willing to step up to the plate for such a time as this? And be a people of courage. You know, I look at the ingredients for courage. I see a couple things. I see there has to be an obstacle. There's got to be purpose. And the last thing I want to see today, another ingredient for courage is action. 
There has to be action. Now look with me in the final two verses. Verse 15, it says that Esther sent this reply to her uncle Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. And when this is done, I'll go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, then I perish. You know, it's always important that if you're if you're making something to eat and I, you know, I'm not a cook, so I'm just I'm speaking out of very little experience. But I am smart enough to know that if you're going to make something that's worth eating, you've got to have the right ingredients. You've got to put them all in there, mix them all up together. Right. Because uh, if you're missing some things, then it doesn't quite work out very well. I told you before, my, my favorite cookie as a kid when I was growing up was snickerdoodles. And I, I love those things. And I, like, I just like to say it, snickerdoodle. And so, you know, they're so good. And I, my sister used to make them for me when I was in college, uh, before I went to college all the time. She was just about four years older than me. And then uh, when, when she, um, or when I went off to college and then she you know, started working, uh, she no longer was there to make cookies for me. So I had to start making snickerdoodles myself. And so I remember my first effort at it. I went in there and I, man, I, I put the, all that stuff in there. It was a... a is it cream of tartar? Is that right? Or tartar? I put that in there and the cinnamon. And, you know, it, and I put it in the oven and it looked good. I mean, the, the cookies rose. They're real fluffy. And I was excited. And I pulled them out of there and they're hot. And I, I, like, I like hot cookies. I like, Emily likes to put them in the freezer because she likes them when they're hard and crunchy. I hate that. I like them hot. And so I got them out of there and I took a bite out of it. And y'all, it tasted just like a biscuit. And the reason why is because I had used all the ingredients but one. I forgot the sugar. Now, when you don't, when you don't have all the ingredients mixed together, there's going, to be some, there's going to be some shortcomings. Now, I look at Esther, and I see Esther had all the ingredients for courage. She had an obstacle. There's got to be an obstacle for there to be courage. The obstacle is her people are going to be, there's going to be genocide. But there also has to be purpose. She saw the obstacle, but she had purpose for this obstacle is to overcome it. But before courage could actually take place, there's another ingredient that had to be added, and it was action. She had to do something. She couldn't just recognize what was going on. You know, just like as a church, we can't just look around and recognize what's going on in our community and say, you know, the young people are in need of, of examples and mentors. We can't, we can't look at our neighbors and say, man, they, they need prayer. And that's it. There has to be action for there to be change, for there to be courage. And Esther took, took stock of her situation. I mean, how people are going to be killed? And so she called her uncle, got together with her uncle, and she said, I want you to get all the people in Susa, all of our fellow Jews, and you fast for me for three days. Fast for, for, for me for three days. Now, she didn't just tell them what to do. She and her maidens were going to do the same thing. You read on. She said, we're going to do the same thing. Now, when you talk about fasting, fasting, of course, is, is skipping meals. And, and they did this in order to place their focus upon God. And it was a recognition that, that food is what sustains life. But their focus was on, was on God because they re- recognized that God is the giver of life. Now, anytime you fasted, you didn't just fast, but you also prayed. So there was prayer and fasting that was going on. And, and there's a, cu- a couple of things I want you to notice. One, I want you to notice that, that Esther was involved in prayer. 
She and her mates were praying. They were praying for courage. They were praying for God to open the door. What's she getting ready to do? She's going to go talk to the king. And she's going to talk to him without his permission. But when she prayed, it was a demonstration in her life that she was relying upon God and not herself. That's what prayer is. It's a recognition that we need God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. There's also power that comes with prayer. You know, whenever you pray, you talk to God, you are marshalling the forces of heaven behind you. Saying, God, I am calling upon you to display your strength. In in James 5.16, it says, The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. You look all throughout the Bible, you see examples of what happened when people prayed. You know what happens when people pray? You read the Bible, there are people who are healed. You'll see that there's rain that came to stop a drought. You'll see that there were battles that were won that should have never been won. You'll see that there were people who came to faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, it's just it, the list goes on and on. But after all that prayer, Esther said, okay, we prayed, now I'm going to act. Now I'm going to do something. I'm going to approach the king. Now again, remember, she approaches the king and he doesn't accept her. She can be put to death. But she came to that point. So we prayed, God, I'm going to act in courage. And she said, and if I perish, then I perish. What happened? If you read on through the story in the book of Esther, you'll see that the king was touched. His heart was changed by God through all that prayer. And he allowed the Jewish people to defend themselves. And the people who came up with the plot were put away. They were put away. Why did all that happen? Guys, it happened because there was a woman who was willing to rise up and act. Village Church. I really believe I believe our community, our schools, our neighbors, their lives can be transformed when we join together as believers and we decide we will rise up and we will act. Now, what are we going to do? Are we going to grab, you know, become a militia and go out and be violent? That's not what I'm talking about. Rising up and act. It's real simple. This book is the Word of God. And if we rise up and courage and act, we're going to say there will be nothing that will stand between me and God's leadership as given in this word. And I will live according to scripture. It sounds easy. I will love my enemies. I will serve people in the name of Jesus Christ. I will tell my friends how God's changed my life. I will be a person who is generous and who gives as God directs me to. Now, what happens if we do these things? Guys, what happens is our community will be changed. Because I believe God's that powerful. You know, I don't want to be a part of a church, and I don't want to be a part of a faith that's going to be scared. But I want to be a part of a church and a part of a faith that says we have a God who can transform the lives of people. I desire to lead this church in such a way that we're going to make a difference in Northeast Columbia. I desire to lead this church in such a way that we are going to make a difference with the children's home that we have down in Haiti. I desire for us to look back as years pass by and say, our church and my faith made a difference because we had a group of people 
who said, we will rise up and we will be a people of courage. Ah, What's courage involve? Obstacles, purpose, and then finally, action. Now for some of you, it's time for you to to have some action concerning your relationship with God. You just simply need to call out to God in prayer and just simply pray and say, Jesus, I, I need you. And Lord, I want to give my life to you. And I need your forgiveness. Now, if you've not done that before, I'll encourage you in just a few moments. You, where you are, you just pray that. You talk to God. Tell Him that. And there are others of us, and we're, we're believers. But it's time for us to step up to the, the plate and begin the process of reaching out to the people that we're around. It's time for us to pray that God will touch, touch the lives of our neighbors. It's time for us to pray that God will bless our teachers. It's time for us to pray that God will open up doors for us to share with our friends, what Jesus means to us. It's time for us to invite people into the church so that we can see the power of Christ transform a person's life. Guys, let's be a people of courage. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the example of courage that you give us. And Lord, I am thankful that you have given us a faith of courage. Lord, may we be courageous enough to put aside our, our own wants and desires and just simply say, Jesus, all I want is you and all I need is you. God, work in me and work through this church so that we can see a move and a revival of God in our community. And I pray these things in Jesus' name.